people that are standing, we should have them come and share what two commandments they have not broken. And some of you had a harder time with that than others. You're trying to think, okay, I'm walking through 10, walking through 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, trying to get a handle on what are those 10 principles that God has laid out in relationship to life and how we deal with it. And I'm standing up here with this little balance tool. It's because I'm going to talk about balance today. And the lucky person who's going to get this is a special gift. So you can get your balance back. Something like that anyway. Great to have everyone here this morning. We're going to spend some time today talking about the first commandment, which is the primary commandment. Everything else stems from it. Actually, the first three are primary. The first three commandments are dealing with the issue of making God the center of our life understanding who he is as our source and beginning to comprehend that balance only comes when we submit to his direction and his guidance and allow him to be first in every possible way in our life. The struggle that we all have is continuing in that process of understanding how to make God first. What does that mean? How do I incorporate that? How do I make it work? And that's the directive we're going to speak to today as we talk about these 10 different words that God has given us. For the next 10 weeks, we'll walk through each one of the different words. So this week is simple commandment that we're laid out here in relationship to God. Simply saying, you must not have any other gods beside me or before me or except me. Okay? Beside me, before me, or except me. It's All that is incorporated within that concept. Today we're just going to look at it out of the NCV. It says it a little differently. That particular one says it like this. Let's see what we got on that verse. You must not have any other gods except me. Read that with me. You must not have any other gods except me. All right, when we talk about that issue, what God is trying to teach us is he's trying to help us understand that life only works... When the one who created it is recognized as the one who can give us direction on how to live it. You cannot live life, according to God, unless he is in the center of our life. What we will live will be a counterfeit life. It will be pieces of life. It will be kind of, sort of like life, but it will not be the life that God wants us to experience and we won't be able to accomplish the purpose and the desire and the plan that he has for each of our lives. He says, you must make me the center of your life. And as you do that, then everything will work. It's the picture of an electric drill that refuses to be plugged into electricity and continues to try to be something that it's not. God is saying to us, you must be plugged into me, and then you will be able to work in the manner in which I made you to work. You'll experience balance. You'll experience understanding. You'll experience a change of perspective that God wants you to have. All these things will happen as you yield to him. I noticed this switched down on me a little bit. They're working with it, all right? I got this little bubble thing here because I have a bad habit. I like to hang pictures at, at my house. And sometimes here at the church, Robin knows all about it. And I just kind of go, I'll do this by eye. And so I, I get them up there and I hang them down and, it's, and they look fine to me. And Robin will walk up and go, it's like awfully, that's not, I say, that's straight. It's not straight. And if you put this little thing here and it's got three bubbles and you've got to get them just right. And when you get them just right, it's actually level. 
And it never looks straight to me when it's level. <laughs> you know, what's the problem? No, you don't want to go there, okay? You don't want to go there. But you begin to understand, I, I recently, I hung a door at my house, and someone told me, Lee, you don't want to try to hang a door. And I said, I think I can do this. So I got the door, and I put it in, and I hung it. And when I first set it down, it swung really well, and I was like, That's, this is a piece of cake. And then I began to nail it all in and put it all together. And then for some weird reason, it wouldn't open. <laughs> so I took it apart, did the whole thing again, put it back together, took it apart, put it back together. And finally, the third time, I got pretty close. So it wasn't too far off. It was pretty close. And I had to use this level. And I get the level, and I, oh, I said, I said that's pretty close. It still wasn't exactly right. And when I finished the whole thing, I got a place where it was, it was pretty good. It was closing and opening. It just had a little bit of slight irregularity. And so I talked to an expert, and he said, Lee, all you do is this. And, did it. and I did that, and, and now you will come to my house and find my door works. Okay? That's all I had to do. Now, the issue was simple, though, but it wasn't simple for me. I didn't know how to hang that door correctly because I didn't know how to make it balance correctly. I didn't know what was needed to be centered in the proper way. God is saying to us, the first thing you must understand in life is that I must be first and foremost. I must be the center. I must be the source. I must be that which you balance everything else on. If you recognize that, you'll begin to put your life together correctly and your doors will swing back and forth and they'll open and they'll close. And if you don't, you will struggle constantly with opening and closing doors in your life. Constantly. It will never, ever end. That's why God said you must have no other gods, little g, beside me. The center of your life has to be God himself. Now, when we talk about this idea of, of center or core, uh, or source. I, I want you to understand that what God is trying to help us comprehend here is that everything works in accordance with how he has made it work. That there are a series of laws and principles by which everything gains correct movement and correct results. Uh, when we value God correctly in our life and he's put in that first place, everything else then we're able to value correctly according to it. Once you have, know the highest value, then you can begin to work down and find the next set of values you have. Now, the first thing that God tries to tell us here is in terms of these sets of principles or laws is that the laws of God himself that he has laid out for us are laws that we must cooperate with. If we ignore them or refuse to abide by them, the result will be disaster on a regular basis in our life. We all understand basic laws like gravity. Okay? We all understand the law of gravity. So I think Egypt is a crazy person to jump out of a plane at 10,000 feet in the air. And I go, you will die. And he says, no, I won't. Because, see, I cooperate with the laws, Lee. When I jump out, I have a parachute on. And I bring it up at the right time. I open it up. And I safely float down to the earth. And I walk right across and See, it works great. I get this wonderful adrenaline rush and all these people around me that are screaming, calm down. Because he's usually carrying somebody with him in that way with a twin thing. And I go, amazing. 
that he chooses to cooperate with these certain laws of gravity. And God, in the same way, tells us, if we will cooperate with the laws that he has set out spiritually, in terms of our relationships, our responses one to another, and our responses to God, then we will find ourselves experiencing life, not with a heaviness, but with a sense of gladness and joy. And we'll regularly experience these wonderful times of euphoria and joy because we will see God working and we'll rejoice over what is taking place. That takes place everything from our children, which I should tell everybody now because I'm going to get to, Mary, uh, my oldest daughter, Joy, is now pregnant. She's so excited and she called up after she's pregnant and she called Danielle first because she said, Daniel, guess what? When they went in and they took a look at the baby, the sack that was in there, they found there were two heartbeats instead of one. So we're going to have another set of twins in our family. And my sons are going, oh, no. Because it is our family that apparently is carrying this gene. And this is the generation. So John, who works these things through, goes, oh, no. The odds are too good. I said, yeah. So that was an exciting thing. We get that excitement of watching our children grow up and having children. All this great things, understand that they understand the principles of life and how to walk and to live by them, that God is their source and the center of their life. And that's a rejoicing thing. You see, the first commandment of God is simply this, above all else, he must be first and center in our life. And then he lays out these series of boundary principles, each one that's not in and of itself something that's of great importance, but because it lays out a value of great importance. It's not just a series of do's and don'ts. It's a series of yeses and maybes and you betchas. That's the directives of the commandments as they're laid out and understood to us. We begin to understand the value of life and how to live life out. Now, many of you have seen the game show. We've got the prices right. You know the prices right. They have a standard thing that they do in that. They have the game, and they lay out a series of things, and they have a can of Spam, and they have a brand-new Corvette. And they say, which one is worth more? And everyone says, Spam, because it gives life to us, and the car just goes faster. No, I guess not. Okay, you so, say, you no, know, the can of Spam's only worth, you know, two bucks, and the Corvette's worth 25, 45, whatever thousand it is. They say, okay, now we're going to make it a little more difficult, though. We're going to put together a series of things, and you get to determine how much each one is worth and in what position each one should be placed. Hmm. Okay. And so we try to place those in. There's a ketchup jar, and we go... How much is ketchup worth? My wife says exact price. And how much is uh, two pounds of chicken? And it goes all the way through these series of things. And we find ourselves having a difficulty placing the right values. But we can get pretty close. But some of them are harder than others. And God has laid out for us within the Ten Commandments a series of values. And he starts out and he says the number one value in your life needs to be this. The most valuable thing in your life is this. Place God first. Above all else, I put it this way, Jesus must be the center of my life. Everything else is valued below that. Now, let me see if I can lay out some of this idea of this uh, prime values given. 
let's say we had laid in here in terms of this, um, this particular game was value this. Telling the truth, okay, telling the truth is one. Mm, let's see, what else would I put down there? Um, winning the lottery, that's two. Okay, so you got two. Telling the truth, uh, winning the lottery. I'm trying to think what, what's some more things I could get in here in terms of values that we want to put it, prime values of living here. Um, not committing adultery. Getting a brand new car. What, what's the value on each one of those? Now, I know all this, but, well, we, but what one do you really think is a value? We found that lying has become a national pastime of the U.S., and that's what we do. So telling the truth for many people would be, well, that's down their ways. Winning the lottery gets first. God says, no, no, no. Telling the truth is far above all those other items in terms of true value. So God sets the values for us. And he says the first and foremost value is to ensure that I am the sinner in everything. And then the rest of the values will make sense, both financially and personally. They'll make sense. It will all come together and you'll gain a perspective that God wants us to have. So the questions that I had as I started working there, I said, well, why should I value God above all else? Well, I've given you a lot of the thoughts and ideas as we walk through this, why I should value him above everything else. That he has laid out to us that the center of life is about life and God is life itself. And he says, so for me, everything else must, must pour itself out. He says, I demand top priority because I am the prime value that without me you cannot exist and you cannot create and you cannot become so unless I'm the prime value in your life you will continue to go downhill instead of uphill you will continue to devolve instead of evolve that's the directive given to you. he says I'm the source from which everything else gains meaning and purpose and value so my marriage my work my friendships, my family. He says, all of these things are good, but their value is gained as a result of my presence within them and my clarification of what they actually are. You shall have no other little G gods before me. Not family, not friends, not even our concept of faith. I will be first and foremost, or you will not have balance in your life. You will not be able to walk straight. Instead, everything you do will be crooked, and others will see it even when you cannot. That's the first and foremost directive. These little fake gods that fall into our life, and they become something that we live by accidentally. So, how do I know if I'm getting these particular little things, these little gods, first place in my life? Well, let me put it this way. The easiest way I found for me to do it is when I find myself going, you know, I have to get this done before I can get back and allow God's work to be done. I don't have time for God. I have to do this. See, that's when I find, uh oh, that has slipped out. And that could be anything from golf. I know that's hard to believe. It could be anything from golf to financial security to whatever. You see, we begin to place these things above God's placement in our life, and it pulls us out of balance, 
and the result is loss, not gain. We think we're going to gain, but we're not. We're actually going to lose. When he is at the center of everything, the values of forgiveness and truth and justice and commitment of love and hope and joy become dominant. And the values of money and things and looks and sex and power become minor. But only when you place him first. You gain a perspective that you didn't have before. Paul says this way. He says, he is before all things. And in him, all things hold or work together. So we begin to see that there's a circle here going on where God starts here. And as we continue with it, everything else pulls together and life has meaning. And everything begins to make sense when we truly love God and put him at the center of our life. It's the principle of what I call an alter ego. Okay? An alter ego, meaning that God replaces me. All of us understand this, that when we call somebody self-centered, we're not giving them a compliment. When we are God-centered... We find ourselves responding with values that other people recognize is not just important and not just necessary, but as desirable in their life as well. We begin to see things so differently when God is the center of our life. And God lays out for us a series of promises. He says, if you remember the Lord in all that you do, that He will give you success. You won't find purpose or success in doing things. Not in your marriage, not in your work, not in fame, none of these things. And we all know it. We just struggle with it. God says you will only find true success if you make me the source of your life. If you make me first in your life, because then everything will begin to come into balance And you'll be able to center things correctly because you'll understand their true value and begin to respond to it appropriately. We have a simple little media clip that I like so much we didn't get to see it at Easter. We're going to watch it now to remind us how everything gets turned around when God becomes the center of our life. Let's watch a simple illustration that tries to show us how life can be so simple. If we can see out of our blindness. Why don't you say this? Say, Jesus, be my center. Jesus, be my center. One more time. Jesus, be my center. Good. Excellent. That is the prime value of life. In every situation, if we can remind ourselves to put us back in that spot before we speak, before we act, before we do, and begin to say, Jesus, be my center, you will know how it is you're supposed to respond on a consistent basis. You'll know, and you'll have to choose. You'll have to choose. And sometimes you'll choose well, and you'll have balance. And sometimes you'll choose wrongly, and the result will be crookedness, bents, struggles. Struggles that are not meant to strengthen you, but struggles that are meant to hurt you. 
and to bring the feet into your life. So how do I do this center thing? How do I allow God to be first in my life? Because we can say God be first in my life all we want. That doesn't mean he is. What I want to do is I want to look at five simple ones and going to use the term first to, to walk through it so it got a little acronym, F-I-R-S-T. Right? So we're going to look at each one of these and try to come to some simple conclusions whether or not God is first in each of these areas. And if he isn't, make a decision to try and, and change that. Okay? I would say this. If God is not at the center of your life, then what we're doing in life is similar to rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Okay? It may look a lot better when you get done, but you haven't accomplished anything. Here comes the iceberg. And that's exactly what will happen in life. But if you put God at the center, you'll find yourself anticipating and oftentimes avoiding the various icebergs that would take you down in life. And if not avoiding, you'll be able to respond to them appropriately. And person after person will say something like this. How were you able to deal with that crisis? Why were you able to deal with that crisis? And you will be thinking, I don't know, I just did. I didn't even see it as that big of a crisis. That's the process when God is in the center. Five areas. The first one is finances. Let's start with the hardest, right? But also the one that's the most obvious, and that's why Jesus spoke so often to this particular issue. So the scriptures tell us we're to honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all our income, and then he will fill our barns to overflow. My problem was I don't have any barns. Okay? I said, Lord, no. Okay, so you can understand when you get too literal on there, you mess up. God's directive to us is he must be first in our finances that we're called to, in this whole series, manage our finances, not own them. God never asked us to try to own our finances. So I tell people money is, has, an, has a power of its own, has a life of its own. And it will take you like a snake and strangle you to death. You will not be able to resist it. You will fall, baby, will you fall. But if you put God first, something happens. Everything changes. And suddenly you have the ability to deal with your finances as long as you keep God first. So, God tells us your money is to work for you, but it won't unless you apply this principle. Now, I want you guys, if you're sitting next to somebody, I want you, if you've got your wallet, I want you to take out your wallet. Uh, gals, I want you to have your purse with you. I want you to take out your purse. Go ahead, take it out. Give you your wallet or your purse. If you haven't got it, you're in good shape, see? So, you haven't got a wallet or a purse, okay. And I want you to hand it to the person that's next to you that's not your spouse. Okay? Hand the person's next to you that's not your spouse. Yeah. Okay, at the end of the service, we'll give it back. But I don't want you to check and see if anything's gone. Some of you are handing it back right now. Take it now. Hurry, take it. Gets a life of its own, you know. Some of you are going, no, keep it, keep it. <laughs> the way we spend our money is an indicator of who is first in our life. The way we spend our money is an indicator of who is first in our life. 
Deuteronomy goes on to say, he says, the purpose of tithing is to enable you to put God first in your life. And tithing is a simple statement that says, God has asked me to give 10% of what he has provided for me. He says, give me back 10%, and then I will guarantee you success on a regular basis. Give me back 10%. Actually, what he does say is give me back 10%. Then follow the directives I have in relationship to the rest of your monies, and I guarantee you'll have success. Not necessarily gain more money. You will gain success. There's a big difference between the two, folks. There are many rich people who are not successful. Just talk to them. You'll find out on a consistent basis. In fact, I find it to be a rarity to find a rich person who's successful. I find it a rarity. The opposite tends to be that which takes place. See, so the purpose that God has laid out this 10% concept is that you might value God above what? Money, funds. You got it all. Whatever you see, you got the idea. He says, I must be first. And this is the way in which you declare to your money, God is first, not you. God is first. He is the center of my life. If you put me first, he says, I'll direct and I will crown all your efforts with success. So I have to find myself in relationship to my finance saying this, as I get ready to write out the check and I say this, Jesus be the center. Say it with me. Jesus be the center. See, that's our struggle. As we want to say, I'm going to put him off to the side. It becomes a side dish in my life rather than the main dish in my life. God says that is never acceptable. I will not, I will not provide you with success if you choose to do that in your life. So uh, number one to 10, I want you to rate yourself. And 1 to 10, how do you think you're doing in this area? So you say, you know, I tithe and my finances are in great shape and God has taken care of it and I'm so comfortable. I'm going to give myself a 9 because I don't think there is a 10. Okay, but, or an 8 or, a, you know, or are you going to say, I'm going to give myself a 1 because I am sucking here. I am just dying here. I'm not doing well at all. So rate yourself. Just put a number down there. Second area in this first picture is that of interests. Interests. If God's going to be number one, then he has to be first in our interests. That means in my fun times, my play times, my amusement, my recreation, my hobbies, okay? All these other times, whatever you do and wherever you do it, do it all for God's glory. So my vacation should be something for God's glory. My eating should be something for God's glory. My sailing, if I'm a sailor, doing it for God's glory. My golfing. My watching shows. Recently, I watched a, a, a couple R-rated shows, and I was blown away by the language. I was like, whoa, I won't be doing that for a long time. I was like, are you kidding me? Really? Wow. We've really moved to another level there. I, I, was, I was very uncomfortable. I, I, don't know about you guys. I was really uncomfortable. I, people, people swear around me. I, I know I'm the pastor. And I, I you know, went through the service. And, uh, swearing is nothing new. But it was so uncomfortable, this constant, constant language. I thought, people really want to come and see this? I was, we, are, we have DirecTV, and I was getting ready to watch a pro. I said, oh, watch this action adventure. My son said, you don't want to watch that, Dad. Really? He said, no, you will not. You won't last two minutes. You'll have it off. So I'm glad he knows that, you know. I'm also glad, I'm also glad that uh, I didn't watch it. And then I also, as you said, how did he know? Yeah, yeah, he'd seen that show. And he would say, Jesus is really not the center of my life at this point in time, Dad. I said, I know that. I'm aware of that. 
but he needs to be. Interests. How we're doing our interests. What do you talk about the most? My wife, she's got Pinterest going, you know. Robin's a food talker. Sorry, Robin, I love you. She can make it and she can talk about it. It's like, whoa. You know, she loves this discussion. They can go back and forth about all these, how do you make this and how do you put this together? My son is actually really into the food. We thought we must have like 40 food network shows always being recorded. You go to a house, you look at the recording. Food network, food network, food network. I'm going, good grief, does everybody do this? Yeah, I said, yeah. So he talks about it all the time. How do you barbecue? How do you do this? How do you do that? I'm like, whoa, this is too much. What do you talk about the most? You see, if, if God is the center of our life and he's something that we're constantly interacting with and I'm sharing with, then I, when I talk with people, I find that's my immediate response. That's what I want to draw them to. When, when I'm sharing with people, I want immediately, as I share with them about the Lord, to pray with them so that they might come to a greater understanding of how much God wants to be involved in this issue and area of their life. What are you talking about? So your interests will be, be declared when you do that. Talk with each other much about the Lord. If he's first in your life, then he will be a topic of your conversation. So rate yourself one to ten on interest. Hmm. All I talk about is golf. The master's is on you. Okay. One to ten. How am I doing here? Uh, relationships is the next one. Relationships. If you want God to be first in your life, then you have to choose your friends carefully. The scripture says the righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked lead them astray. Why is that? You know, why, why, why does that happen? Why are, least, why are we led astray so much easier than we are leading them to the correct direction? I really don't know. I'll be truthful. I really don't know. I just know what happens. I just know what happens. And so with my kids, I tend to respond to them in a particular manner. If you spend time with people who take God lightly, then you will tend to become a casual believer. But if you spend time with people who are committed that God is the center of their life, then you'll find yourself in the same way continuing to put him more and more and more in the center and first especially as you recognize what's going on in their life, you start thinking this. Well, if they can do it, I can do it. It actually does work. Wow. I need to begin to put that into play into my life. Whatever you spend and whoever you spend time with is what you're going to find yourself being like. And that is why, for us as parents, we so desperately want our children to be around people who, what, drink, smoke, and chew? Yeah, yeah, we get the idea. We go. We want our children to be around other people who have similar values. We would say, who value God and value the basics and the principles of the commandments that He lays out, who value life, who value truth, who value commitment. You know, you begin to get it. Of course. So we want our children to be with those. And I say in the same way, you need to be with those. One of the values of being in a small group. We meet regularly together here and. I think of Jeff and us, and we sit down, and we get around talking, and for hour, two hours, you know, Ray's over here, two and a half hours, we find ourselves discussing something that's meaningful. It's always a big thing with the guys. We get around to us, and however a large group or small group, it says, wow, this is about the only time in the week that I really discuss things that are meaningful, really meaningful. The rest of the time, I find myself discussing things like, how can I get ahead on this, or how can I get this taken care of, or how can I finish this up, or how many calls, and get the idea. 
you want your children to be around people who have meaning, and you need to be in that same position. The more you allow yourself to gather together with God's people, the more you will find yourself balancing correctly, and God will be more and more first in the area of relationships in your life. Choose your friends carefully. Rate yourself 1 to 10, 1 to 10 on this. How are you doing? Some of you are single especially. If you're single, uh, so you don't have a spouse who is committed to Christ and committed to Him, uh, you've got to be very, very careful in this area. This is a very difficult thing. Watch yourself. Watch yourself. Or you'll go down a road you do not want to travel on. Right? So rate yourself there. So we said finances, interests, relationships. S is schedule. How's your schedule? Is God first in our schedule? See, do we actually place Him first in our schedule? Do we actually ask God to guide our schedule? I have a series of things that I would do in my schedule, and that's A, B's, and C's, because I don't know about you, but I usually have more things to do than I have time to do them. Okay? So therefore, what I do is I try to allocate and say, here are my A things, here are my B things, here are my C things. What I found is sometimes the C things just go away. Other times the C things move to B and then to A. The way I do that is in my schedule. Each morning when I pray, I ask God, I ask Him directly, what am I supposed to do today? And then I lay out a simple process and say, okay, I need to do this, this, and this. These are first. I need to do this, this, this. These are second, Bs. This, this, and this. These are third, Cs. And I find that there's always enough time in the day to do what God desires me to do. Whatever your purpose and plan and directive that God has laid you aside for, you will have enough time to accomplish that in the day that you've been given. 24 hours is more than enough time. But you do have to set your priorities. And the priorities are set. If I set before God and I say, God, show me correct priorities. So the first thing I do is I spend time, first and foremost, spending time in God's Word. So I get up at 5 in the morning or 6 in the morning, whatever it is that day. Sometimes 4 in the morning. Sleep in 7. You know, that's a sleep in day. We go, wow, I've slept in today. And so that's, that's cool. And, and I start off the day by reading a section of God's Word. After I get done with reading God's Word, I spend a bit of time. I usually walk to it. It's called Acts, A-C-T-S. And that's just recognizing God's goodness and His praise and confessing whatever areas of my life that I've become to recognize I need to ask forgiveness for and then giving thanks for things He's given me and then say, okay, Lord, here are the things I need some help with today. And then I lay out my schedule and God begins to lay it out quite clearly and I find that you are able to see exactly what you're supposed to do that day. It's really interesting. Is God first... In your schedule, it says, Jesus very early in the morning got up and prayed, spent time with God. Before every major decision, Jesus makes a huge amount of time in prayer prior to it, six, eight hours often. And then he would make a major decision, picking all the apostles. Major decisions, he would always spend extra time in prayer beforehand. How are you doing with your schedule before God? How you're setting aside things beforehand. You need to take a look at that and say, how you doing? So right now, 1 to 10, how you doing with your schedule? So my schedule before God, I'm doing pretty good. I actually sit down and ask God to give me direction on that, and I do the best I can to, to follow through with that and accomplish the things I have in, in my work, in my home, and the other areas. 1 to 10, all right? The last one is the troubles. That's the T, troubles. Troubles is when you face unexpected problems and pressures. You have a crisis. What do you do? Who do you turn to? God says, turn to me first when you've got a problem. When trouble comes, who do you cry out for? Who do you ask to give support? Who do you trust to save you? I find many times that people, prayer seems to be the last resort. Do everything you can and then we'll pray and maybe that'll help. 
And I would tell you that you need to do the exact opposite. The first thing when crisis hits, the first thing you do, if you call me, the first thing I will do after I talk to you is I'll say, let's pray. And ask God to get involved in the situation and the trouble and to make us understand what it really is and how we're supposed to respond to it. What is this? It can be a crisis. You get a call from your doc and he says, you have cancer. And your first response is, yeah, okay? So that's your first response. What? And then you think, oh, no, I'm going to die. And then you think, how am I going to deal? What about my family? You know, you go through all these series of things. I said, the first thing you need to do is just stop, deep breath, say, Father, I don't know why this come into my life, but show me what I'm supposed to do, how am I supposed to handle it. And God will give you that direction, and you'll find yourself able to respond to those around you in a correct manner and then deal with it from there. Whatever the crisis is, you don't immediately respond and run off. See, person after person say, it's a crisis, so we're going to run over there, and then we get there, and we don't know what to do. Say, stop, pray, ask God for direction. He'll tell you what to do next. And it may be, call so-and-so. Talk to this person. I know this person had this issue here. Work under these areas over here. Begin to get a handle on that. You'll find the directives are clear when you turn to him for trouble. Call upon me in your day of trouble. I will deliver you, and then you will honor me. Put me first in the center, especially in tough times. Bother me. I can handle whatever you've got. Bring it on. Bring it on. It is no issue for me. In fact, I knew this was going to happen before it ever did. My wife will often say, I saw it coming. God says, yes, I did too. Yes, I did too. And he desires to help us deal with it. Pour out your complaint before him. Tell him your troubles. When my spirit grows faint within me, it's you who know the way. He knows the way out. He knows the way to respond. So don't fall for a false value. Put him first, come to him in trouble and say, Jesus, be my center. Boy, let that be your mantra. Jesus, be my center. And he will. And at that point in time, you'll find yourself responding in a way you'll scratch your head. I don't know why. It just doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. And God will provide you with clear directions. Jesus is the lifeguard when we're drowning. He's the bank when we're out of money. He's the GPS when we've lost our way. He will provide for us clarity and understanding and direction if we ask him to. Which, by the way, oftentimes people ask me, how do I know when I am not following God's direction? Let me tell you the number one way I know when I'm not following God's direction. It happened to me this week. Always does we have to preach on these things. Okay? You start worrying. You start worrying about your finances. You start worrying about your job. You start worrying about your relationships. You start worrying. Instead of simply laying it before God and saying, Lord, you are in charge. You are number one. You are more than able. Take control. And he does when we make him the center of 
our life. You see, worry is the warning light that's saying, you are playing God. Stop it. God said, that's my job. You're not supposed to be first. Who wants to be self-centered? Be God-centered. Allow Him to be first in your life. And when you do that, then everything will begin to come together. All right? So we're going to ask the band to come up. We're going to close up this time with us. Exodus 23, we're going to go right back to that. Mark, could you flip that uh, verse back up for us? We're going to read this again. And it says quite simply, You must not have any other gods except me. This is the center bubble. God is sharing with us that in order for life to work correctly, with the ability to make all things work together, troubles, schedules, relationships, interests, all these things, he must be the center, the source. Everything comes from him. He is the prime value. And everything else, when we lay out our values, are done on the basis of, he says, this is more important than this. If you don't get it, you will later. This is more important than this. And he is saying simply this. He's saying, this is with me. This is without me. This is with me. This is without me. Which one are you going to pick? That's the cry of God in your life. Make me the center. And if you'll do that, everybody wins. But when we insist on being first in position, we will end up being last in result. But when we choose to be last in position, we will be first in result. That is why Jesus tries to teach us. It's the humble one that will be exalted by God. It's the one who chooses to be last who will be recognized as first. It's the upside-down kingdom directive that God gives us. You see, this is the first, the first prime commandment. You shall have no other God. So Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Yeah, put him first in every area of your life. And everything else, everything else will be added. If you want a successful life, if you want a strong family, You've got to have the right foundation. You must put God first in every area of your life. Begin the balance process. Over the next 10 weeks, we're going to talk about how can I put this thing together in terms of balance. Just like it took me a long time to get that door to hang right and swing, it doesn't happen overnight. You can make a commitment overnight, but the process will be a little longer. I encourage you, go through the process. All right, let's pray. Father, today we come to you as a God who we recognize is the prime value of life, who makes things valuable. You are the one who put everything together. You are the center of life itself. You are life and your love and your hope and your faith and your joy. You're all these things. So today we come to you and we say, Lord, I want you to be center in my life. Jesus, be my center. I value that above all else. And so I will strive to continue to keep you in the proper position that my life might be in balance. Thank you, Lord, as you take care of these areas. For we ask it in Jesus' gracious name. Amen. Let's sing this song. And, you know, as he, as he plays it, at some point in time, you may want to stand up and make that a statement to God saying, Lord, I want you to be the center of my life. And when that time is right, then stand up. Don't do it until then. And we're not watching, okay? <laughs>